glaciers, electric cars, and austerity. Why climate change is personal to me, two ways to decarbonize your own transportation, and how not to be a preachy vegan. Welcome to Into the Details. My name is Peter Ehrlich, and in this podcast, I talk about when climate change became real for me, before going into depth on my everyday experience in 2022 as an EV driver, and how I carbon offset my flights. I wrap up with a related note on policies of austerity, and how the concept updated the way I understand the world. In the following posts, I'll talk about decarbonizing personal finances and dwellings, and touch on some of the groups working to make this process easier. Also, I work fully remotely, and often miss many of the casual in-person interactions to be had among new faces and old. I invite you to book time on pearlick.com slash meet, or simply drop in and say hello on our brand new Discord server. And links are in the blog post on pearlick.com slash blog. Section 1, a personal note, or how my eyes were opened to the effects of climate change. I was astonished when I visited a glacier in Alaska while on vacation in 2018. The following story made a huge impression on me at the time, and has stuck with me ever since. At the Harding Ice Field, my partner and I parked our rental car in the tidy National Parks lot, slathered on sunscreen on a hot July day, loaded up our Nalgene water bottles, and started our hike out from the trailhead. We were excited for our first chance to walk on a real glacier, but it wasn't yet anywhere to be seen. Instead, was a thick forested path with some typical Alaskan bear warnings and a small wooden sign labeled 1926. That's odd, I thought, and kept walking. About half a mile later, we passed another sign, this time labeled 1951. Our perplexion led us to check the visitor's pamphlet, which described the trail we were walking on as the old area of the glacier. The signs indicated how far the glacier had extended on a given year. The path was miles long. We continued walking, passing more signs, sweating and listening to the cicadas, and eventually wound up in the hills, finally sighting the snow and ice. The next day, we went on kayaks around to the other side and watched at a distance as massive blocks of ice as big as buildings broke off and fell into the ocean every few minutes. Ever since then, I've been struck by the immensity of the problem before us. Is this proof of human-made climate change? Of course not. But it is proof of warming in this particular part of the world, which I regard as a tragedy and a personal responsibility not to be sidestepped. And uh, in the post here, I have an image from, uh, from a piece put together by The Guardian, uh, which really which does, does a great job of showing the, the impact of what I've described here. Uh, they found photos of old glaciers and icebergs from as early as 19, early 1900s. I think there's even one in the late 1800s. And they do a then and now with little sliders. So you can see that's what the ice looked like 100 years ago. And here's, you know, the, the ocean or the, the, the dry lake bed that you see today. 
um, and they've got like 20 of them. It's great. Today's post is the first in a series on what I've found since 2018, which a person can do to impact climate change positively. The process at its core is very simple. Find everything you do which emits greenhouse gases either directly or indirectly, and find an alternative to replace it. With this guide, you can personally hit net zero far before the 2040 or 2050 national timelines. It falls on those who are already thinking about these issues to lead the way by showing this can be done. It is my hope that you will join me for the journey. Section 2. Electric Cars. What's on the market today? If you, like many people, are considering the jump from an internal combustion engine vehicle to an electric one, it is most likely you are considering one of two philosophies. Either one, the two-car mindset. In this case, you buy a lower-cost EV for daily use, save money and, and get a lower range and slower charging, but you have the option to fall back to internal combustion for longer trips. The car will still be a new car and comfortable and nice to drive. Or two, the one-car mindset. Here you're paying 50 or 100% more uh, for an EV which does all the things. It's long range, it has super fast charging, it's spacious or handles terrain, or whatever your particular requirements may be. To evaluate a vehicle, you will likely have to learn at least one new term, level three DC fast charging. Level three charging works at a rate of more than 150 kilowatts and can probably get your car charged in 20 minutes. Both the car and the charger need to support it, and vehicles supporting this are rare outside of Tesla today, as is the charging infrastructure. Level 2 chargers and car combinations are typically around 50 to 70 kilowatts, and a complete charge is measured in 1 to 4 hours. Uh, and then I, I have a link to a video blog on YouTube that's less than flattering towards Electrify America and EVGO's charging infrastructure in comparison to Tesla's as he drives his Rivian down the California coast. Also, you should know that charging rates are not constant for batteries. Uh, the rate is highest between 15 and 80% battery capacity, so you may see some variety in reported charging speeds online. The best standard is to use that mid-range, as that is where most of your charging happens, except for maybe carefully planned trips uh, that are single shot or use segments which use up to 90% or more of your battery. For the two-car mindset, the Chevy Bolt and Kia Nero are some of the good and, and best reviewed examples. They top out at 60 to 70 kilowatts charging speed, or about 150 miles of range charged per hour. Reports from acquaintances are that they love their Chevy Bolts. Note, in researching for this blog, I found evdatabase.org to be a wonderful resource, particularly for European readers, as it has over 180 EVs documented, quickly filterable by range, price, make, availability, and so forth. Um, they say that U.S. support is on their roadmap. Section 3, My Tesla Experience. In February 2022, I received my Tesla Model 3 Long Range. 
I chose this car because I wanted the cheapest zero emission car I could find, which would have access to the best charging infrastructure. The long range version is recommended in colder northeastern climates due to the 10 to 20% drop in usable battery capacity. Because of that and some occasional trips across the country, that's what I went with. By now I've gotten used to a standard set of questions from curious folks, which I will detail below. Heading 1. The driving. Needless to say, the car is stupidly fun to drive, as is universally reported. My experience was particularly good on the snow, with traction-controlled all-wheel drive being a huge step up from my two-wheel two drive Kia Soul. I can just drive on through conditions where I would have needed to stop and use chains before. Although the car comes with two key cards, most of the time I just use my phone in my pocket as the key. The car itself somehow feels like driving a big smartphone. I just sit down and go. There's no ignition, there's a quiet electric hum, and it's particularly nice when you want a warm space to sit in the winter. There's no need to keep the engine running to generate heat, or, or cold for that matter. Heading to the range. In 2022, I, drive, I drove more than 15,000 miles in the car. I've taken it to the shop zero times and had zero issues more severe than figuring out how to operate the gear shift lever on day one. I was worried about the build quality scare going around at the time, but I need not have been. The pickup experience was, for me, exciting. I installed the app on my phone, pressed the blink lights button to find my car in the Tesla lot, and I drove away. I didn't even step inside the building to talk to anyone. Naturally, I started my first trips with a bit of range anxiety, but after a few trips I came to really trust the vehicle for the following reasons. 1. Estimated range has been spot on, with a variance of a few percentage points at most. I've had stress only once when driving between multiple far-flung destinations in northern New Hampshire while I was also not able to charge overnight. This is the one time I had to wait for a few hours at a free level 2 non-Tesla charger at a grocery store. To give you an idea of my mindset of this bullet 2, um, I very casually keep the battery at the recommended 80% and make a two-hour weekend trip, arriving at 40%. For longer trips, nothing really changes. If I'm on a four-hour drive instead, it will automatically insert a charging stop on my route as I type it into the nav system. Number three, charging stops are fast. You might not realize it, but you can easily spend five to 10 minutes pumping gas when you need to fuel up and use the bathroom. This car charges in about 15 to 20 minutes. This is at the standard charge from 20% to 80%, which gives me time for a bathroom break and maybe a snack. After three to four hours of driving, a few minutes to respond to messages is a blessing. Finally, this may sound odd, but I really do not miss the smell of gasoline at the pump or standing out in the cold waiting for hydrocarbons to make their journey into my tank before the next step on their journey. And here I have an image. It's a comparison uh, of route planning uh, for, for a sample drive, not along highways, but from 
Concord, New Hampshire, and Queensbury, New York, uh, over over normal two lane roads. Um, and I use Google Maps for a gasoline vehicle, and it takes about three hours and seven minutes predicted. Uh, add five or ten minutes to that to a gas stop, and you get between three hours and ten minutes and three hours and twenty minutes. Um, and then in the middle panel, I have Tesla Model 3 Long Range um, through, a, through a beta route planner. And as you can see, it's automatically put the charging stop in there with me, and it's 10 minutes of total charging time for an estimated time of 3 hours and 20 minutes. Um, so maybe 5 or 10 minutes more than a, uh, a gasoline car out of a 3-hour drive. Um, and then I put in the Ford uh, F-150 electric um, with extended range option. Um, and this comes out to three hours and 50 minutes. Um, so there's still one charging stop in the middle, but this takes about 40 minutes uh, rather than the, the uh, 10 minutes for the Tesla. So I've driven from New York to Colorado and back twice now, once in a Kia Soul and once in a Tesla, each time the driving, uh, doing the driving in just two days. The extra charging turns an 18-hour day of driving into a little over a 19-hour day. Of course, about two hours are spent charging, not one, but it seems that I spend about an hour fueling and eating, even with the gas car. I'm getting to know the charging stations well by now, and have a new love for the Midwestern grocery store Hy-Vee for its delicious sandwich fixins and on-site superchargers. Overall, believe it or not, my fuel stress is less than when I owned the Kia. Why? Because you always have to pay attention to fuel on a gasoline car. Sometimes you need to go on an errand and the amount of time it takes just doubles because you happen to park on empty. On the contrary, even with only a 110 volt standard wall outlet charger at home, I know I'm always going to have enough juice for my daily routine. Uh, and you can see uh, the gray bars in the cost section further below, uh, where even for the past two months I've only charged at home, even with only a standard plug in my, in my rental unit. Heading three, the emissions. Skeptics will be quick to point out the embedded cost of carbon in a Tesla. That is, the amount of uh, carbon or CO2 equivalent emitted during the manufacturing phase. These fears are a little overblown. And I have a chart here of the Tesla impact report showing the total life cycle emissions of an electric car charged on solar or other renewables, an electric car charged on your typical grid, and your uh, average premium internal combustion engine vehicle. Uh, and in all cases, even 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 the most extreme, you're still like a quarter of the emissions over the life, life cycle of the vehicle. Uh, the carbon is offset within about 13,000 miles, according to the Tesla impact report. Then for me, this was less than a year. What you don't see mentioned often is that the purchase of a new electric car, when combined with the sale of an old gasoline car, replaces the purchase of a new gasoline car. So there's not even that much embedded carbon that you're adding that would otherwise have, have not been added uh, through the creation of a new car. For a full comparison of embedded carbon in different vehicles, uh, a link to another article which has some good charts. Of course, the carbon makeup for electricity generation really matters. 
Uh, there's not a lot of point in this if we as a grid stay tied to coal. Um, this is why community solar and uh, international carbon taxation are so important, uh, as, as discussed in the, in the previous episodes. To the skeptics who demand an all-green supply chain, any study of the history of technology will quickly reveal that one must use existing technology in order to build next-generation technology. This is hardly more clear than at one of my all-time favorite museums, the American Precision Museum in Windsor, Vermont, where my boyish brain was melted by thinking about how they could use a milling machine of one accuracy to build another of much higher accuracy. In short, we can go ahead and replace the transportation sector by leveraging our existing manufacturing sector, and we'll get to manufacturing in due time. In fact, the world's first fully electric lithium mine is already underway in the United Kingdom. Heading 4. The Cost Teslas are, of course, expensive. The Model 3 comes in at $44,000 to $54,000, and the long range is now only available on the Model Y at $53,000 to $57,000, and this is after their most recent price reduction. However, some savings take the edge off the price. You'll probably spend about half as much on a fuel, uh, depending on the local electric rates and gas prices. There are nice metrics in the Tesla app, which line up with my experience of about $15 to $20 for a tank of fuel, excuse me, for a full charge, uh, about 300 miles, leaving some buffer in each case. And then I have a screenshot from their app showing I charged 5,000 kilowatt hours, I spent a little over $1,200, and the gas for that same amount of, if I'd, if I'd used the Kia, it would have been about $2,300 instead of $1,200 to do the same mileage. Individuals making less than $150,000 a year, or households at $300,000, qualify for a tax credit of $7,500 for a new EV, or $4,000 for a used one. And that's a tax credit, meaning you get the full 7500 not a tax deduction, meaning you get to take that much off your taxable income. This only applies to the now wide number of vehicles with final assembly in the U.S., including Tesla. You can see the list of 20 options in Consumer Reports. You may think that you have to upgrade your home with a fast charger for your car to be usable. I have found this not to be necessary due to the many hours I spend sleep, uh, sleeping and the car spends charging. However, your situation may be different if you have a large commute or no 110 volt line to charge from, and I have a note on that later. Or you may think you need solar in order to be making an impact on the environment. However, electric grids are generally growing in their proportion of renewable energy, whereas gasoline refineries are not or at least not anytime soon enough, as uh, direct air capture-based fuel is far away. And I link out to a couple of articles there on, on how eventually one day we may make gasoline from captured carbon powered by renewable energies in order to do so. Um, but obviously that is, is not as good as, as not emitting hydrocarbons to begin with. Um, and finally, if you, if you do want a fast charger at home, you may be fine with a standard 240-volt receptacle rather than an entire Powerwall-type battery solution, although it, that has its advantages as well.
As an aside, I'm working on a project to produce a low-cost 110-volt metered charging outlet, which apartment buildings and HOAs can install without a major rewiring investment. If you would like one installed in your building, please get in touch for private beta access. Section 3. How to Fly Net Zero Like it or not, aviation is a major source of greenhouse gas emissions, with about 2 to 4x more per mile than a typical internal combustion engine car with two people in it. Uh, and I link out to the full report from ICC here. There are some technological solutions being worked on. Beta Technologies, local to Burlington, Vermont, makes small electric vertical takeoff and landing, or VTOL, aircraft specialized on point-to-point -point flight, flights. Uh, the founder had previously worked on organ transplant transportation. And then I have a picture of Beta's electric aircraft as it's flying. It's got a pretty cool look. It has the propeller in the back. Um, and it's just, it's just sort of a small two-seater above the clouds here. NASA has a prototype X-57 Maxwell electric airplane with 12 small motors along the wings. Electric airplanes have some neat advantages due to their high torque. Besides being ide ideal for VTOL, these engines maximize airflow at low speeds and can be independently controlled for steering, like traction control on an automobile. The Maxwell is scheduled to fly in 2023. And then I have a picture of that plane as well. This one's concept art of it in the sky as they're busy inventing new welding techniques before they can launch it. Boeing has no electric aircraft themselves and says that electric jumbo jets are decades away. They have, however, invested almost half a billion dollars into Whisk Aero, a company which is making small autonomous air taxis, much like Beta. Airbus is a bit of a mixed bag. They have some very neat promotional designs, a standard jetliner converted to run on hydrogen. It's all very exciting and then disappointing when word from inside reports that the company is abandoning their 2025 green aircraft launch plans to instead, quote, hit the gas pedal while nobody is watching. In a riveting blog post, a resigning employee polls his colleagues on their views, expecting them to be in some sort of climate denial, and instead finds a silent majority in disagreement of company policy. And here I have an, an image from his blog post. He says, heading, a silent majority in disagreement, and in the text he says, So after this experiment, I felt less lonely in this emotional landscape. Feeling depressed about the way the company is headed is actually more common than I thought. After classifying each of my colleagues' reactions, here's how I would draw, the now, uh, draw now the emotional landscape in Airbus with my 13 colleagues and I. And then he has this cool chart. It's with denial and anger on the left, bargaining in the middle, depression and acceptance on the right. And then he has all these little stick figures and there's a few in denial, and then sort of near bargaining, he's got stick figures saying, the CEO has to please the shareholders, you know? And it's a cover-up for the secret green strategy. And then a few stick figures in depression saying, this strategy is the worst, but we can't do anything about it. And then some stick figures in acceptance saying things like, 
I'm preparing for the future bad times. I have other projects, and I'm enjoying life before the end. Ah. So, as you can figure, that's sort of a fun read, and I link it in the post. Um, but back to our subject at hand, how to decarbonize your flights. One true answer is simply not to fly. And France has even banned short-haul flights where a train is a viable alternative. While this has worked for me largely, professional offsites make an exception which I must allow. Furthermore, I will not recommend austerity to others, as I discuss in the next section. There are websites out there which offer carbon offsets at $8 to $80 per 1,000 pounds of carbon offset. These likely do some good, but that price seems a bit lower than what it should be. Often these kinds of funds go towards solutions which may help, but are ultimately limited in scale, such as forest preservation or effectiveness. I prefer my funds to go towards building a machine which takes carbon right out of the air and dumps it in the ground where it came from. Climeworks offers carbon capture at about $600 per 1,000 pounds, which likely means you won't be offsetting your whole flight this way. That would cost about $300 for a round trip from Denver to SFO. However, the funds are going to a scalable solution which is early in its development cycle, and costs will come down with continued investment. This is the general philosophy, by the way, of Stripe Climate, which I am in agreement with. And I link out to that. So Stripe Climate invests in many similar early stage companies that are looking to uh, reduce carbon from the atmosphere. And one final question on this topic. Can I drive a Tesla without being a conceited jerk? And my simple answer is yes, stay humble. People often have many genuine questions and it's fun to answer them. Just don't be like this guy. And I have a link out here to a clip from the South Park episode, which probably many of you have seen, where South Park gets a whole bunch of hybrid Toyota Priuses, and, um, and yeah, it gets a little crazy. Section 4. Closing thoughts on austerity. I'd like to wrap up this post with the topic of austerity. This is a term which applies in both contexts of economic policy and in cases of someone pushing their own values, which can happen very easily in political contexts. Let's start by looking at the 2008 financial crisis reaction as a case for why collective austerity can be counterproductive or even a dangerous thing, and then see from that why it's not a great tool for creating change, especially on the scale needed to decarbonize our lives. After the 2008 crisis, governments were deeply, all $2 trillion worth, in debt. And Europe in particular responded to this not by issuing more currency, which would have been inflationary, but by practicing fiscal austerity, which was deflationary. Either one of those can cause a recession, and although the differences between the two are technically fascinating, you can study those without my help in this fantastic ebook by Ray Dalio. And this links out to his blog post, uh, Principles for Understanding Big Debt Crises, where he goes back and looks at like the Great Depression and the, everything. 
The bottom line with fiscal austerity is that less spending can cause deflation, which can cause people to hoard money at home while feeling less financially secure. It's an ugly cycle. Mark Blythe, everyone's favorite economist who sounds like Shrek, describes it very well in five minutes. And here we have a YouTube link um, with my Mark Blythe doing one of those cool videos with animations added with, to, under his hand gestures and all that, sort of explaining what the deal is with, with austerity. Um, it's, it's, it's a pretty fun to watch and about the easiest way to learn econ economics that you can ask for. I believe the same trouble with austerity holds true in social contexts as well, sort of like the Shakers, a celibate religion which has all but died out thanks to their own values. In both cases, I believe leadership through positive action, not self-repression, is a stronger choice. Along a similar vein, although a person may choose not to fly, not to eat meat, and so on, trying to achieve an ethical goal by imposing values of austerity upon others is often a losing proposition which generates strong adverse reactions. There are many examples of this, such as preachy veganism or complaints about COP27 members using private jets, and so on. Although I admire Greta Thunberg's tenacity and integrity in crossing the Atlantic in a racing sailboat, it's just not a scalable solution. It is much better to find solutions which make people's lives better, while also making the world better. This was Glaciers, Electric Cars, and Austerity on Into the Details. Thanks for listening.